Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Have you guys been enjoying this 30 Days Left to Live series? It's been so great. I'm excited about the message today, week three. We're going to jump straight into the text, Acts 20, 17 through 23. We're going to be reading about a guy named the Apostle Paul. It reads like this. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. I love that the Apostle Paul says, you know how I lived. I think he could have said, you've heard the messages I've preached. I think he could have said, you've heard the things that I've spoken. But Paul knows that the real impact that we have as Jesus followers is the life that we live. It was Francis Assisi that said, preach the gospel everywhere you can. And if you have to, use your words. We live in the age of information. I don't believe that people have chosen not to believe in Jesus because of a lack of information. I think it's a lack of passionate Jesus followers who are displaying what it looks like to live the radical call of being a Jesus follower. I like what Ian Bounds says. He says, the world judges religion not just by what the Bible says, but by how Christians live. Christians are the Bible which sinners read. I love that you post about Jesus, but will you live for him? A little too harsh for the 11. Okay, here we go. You yourselves know how I lived among you. From the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything. Uh, aren't you glad to be a part of a church that doesn't shrink from declaring to you anything from this word? I don't know if you know this. But the darker the culture gets, the more controversial this book becomes. And we teach on topics that could get us canceled, but we do it anyways because our authority is not the culture of man, but it's the kingdom of God. I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained. That word constrained means forced or controlled. I'm forced. I, I'm, I'm controlled. I'm compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that, that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. This morning, I want to talk to you from this topic on week three of 30 Days Left to Live, living a vulnerable life, living a vulnerable life. In February of 2020, my wife and I had just moved back home to South Louisiana. Those of you that don't know our story, my wife and I moved to Southern California for about four years. And in the middle of 2019, we began the journey of trying to have children. This resulted in us having miscarriage after miscarriage. Those of you that have had miscarriages know the toll that it takes on you individually and as a result, the marriage. And it was a difficult season. And right in the middle of this, we pack everything up and we move back home. And it was great to be back home with family, but in a lot of ways, it felt like we were restarting all over again. 
And when we landed in Lafayette, I mean, we just started going 100 miles an hour. I jumped straight into ministry. I was home for three days and just jumped straight in. And she was running 100 miles an hour working. We were just go, go, go. And what I realize now that I didn't realize then is when we really should have taken a season to be intentional about healing the broken things in our marriage, we just decided to bury it because who actually has time to deal with the broken things in your life. I remember one afternoon, right in the middle of this season, I was at Old Time Grocery, and I was in line ordering, and a friend I'd not seen in years came up to me, and he said, yo, man, I haven't seen you forever. How are you doing? You know, when someone asks you how you're doing, you're not supposed to tell them how you're doing, right? I said, man, I'm doing great, doing amazing. Everything, everything, man, everything is just so great. He said, really, how's marriage? Marriage is great. Year three, come on, man, for three years, best years. He said, okay, he uh, got his food and left. I got my food. I went and sat down and about 15 minutes into eating, out of the corner of my eye, I see him making a beeline for my table. He comes up to me and he says, hey, I just, I got to be obedient to what I feel like the Holy Spirit's asking me to do. How are you really doing? And I don't even know where these words came from. I just said, uh, I'm actually not Okay. He sat down and for the next hour and a half, I began to unpack the disappointment of praying for a child, getting pregnant, losing the child, praying again, hoping again, getting pregnant again, losing the child, moving back home, feeling like, why are we back home? It was just, the conversation was a God conversation. God knew I needed that. You know, it's funny. I'm convinced one day when we get to heaven, God's going to show us the movie of our life. And all the times we thought were just coincidences were actually God incidences. And he sent little angels to visit us along the way. But I remember that afternoon when I left, I got in my truck and I did something that I hadn't done. I didn't get on my phone. For the first time, I didn't turn on the radio. I just sat there for about 30 minutes. And I had this revelation. I had gotten so busy doing ministry that it was actually impossible for me to receive ministry. I had gotten so busy dealing with everyone else's issues that it literally took someone hijacking my lunch for me to be vulnerable enough to admit, maybe I have some issues of my own. And if we can be honest this morning, a lot of people here find themselves in that season of life. Moms, I see you, you're wearing the mom hat and the wife hat and most of you also the caretaker had, and you're doing all things that are mom, that the thought of taking a season to heal the broken things, who has time for that? Dads, I see you wearing the dad hat and the husband hat and the provider hat and doing all things that you do, that the thought of taking time to check on your soul is laughable. We're always in a go. We're always in a rush. We're always in a hurry. I love what John Mark Homer says about this pace of life I'm talking to you about this morning. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Both sin and busyness have the same effect. They both cut off your connection to God, to other people, and to your own soul. So this morning, let me slow down for a moment. I want to ask you a question. How are you doing? got good news for you. I believe the Apostle Paul models 
for you and I, what we're called to do when we can be vulnerable enough to admit that maybe we aren't as okay as we like to tell people that we are. Now, this story is in the book of Acts. Give you some context. The book of Acts outside of the gospel of John is my favorite book of the Bible. Because in the book of Acts, you see the birth of the early church. It opens up, but you see King Jesus. This is now Jesus who's defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's why we call him King Jesus. And he's with his disciples, and he's teaching them about the helper, the Holy Spirit. The Bible then says that Jesus ascends into heaven. The disciples gather in the upper room, and they begin to pray. And as they begin to pray, Acts 2-4 happens. Look at Acts 2-4. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So now we see the disciples filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the first time, this message of salvation through Jesus Christ is spreading and it's spreading like wildfire. I mean, thousands of people are getting saved. People are getting healed. Blind eyes are being opened. It's, it's the birth of the early church. And then Acts 9 happens. And Acts 9 really changed the game. Because in Acts 9, a guy named Paul gives his life to the Lord. It's important to know Paul, after Jesus, is considered to be one of the most important figures in all of Christianity. Paul wrote 14 books of the Bible, four from a prison cell. Paul wrote Philippians 4.13 from a prison cell. Come on, you know Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who... Who wrote that from a prison cell? Like the Bible says one time, Paul was preaching... And they didn't like what he was saying, so they drug Paul out of the city, killed him. They walk away. The Bible says the brother just pops back up, dusts himself off, and keeps preaching. <laughs> okay, Paul was a bad man. Paul was that guy. When you read about Paul, it seems like he is unfazed and unbothered by anything. It seems like the more they beat him, the more he preaches. It seems like the more they arrest him, the more scripture he writes. Paul is like the superhero of Christianity. But in Acts 20, 19, we see a different side of Paul. Paul becomes, I think the word I'm looking for is vulnerable in a way that up until this moment, he is not. Look at verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility and with what? Tears. And with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, look at this second translation. I've operated in God's miracle power with great humility and served you with many tears. I've endured numerous ordeals because of the plots of the Jews. For the first time, I see this very vulnerable side of Paul. Because in one sentence, he says that he actually felt it all, that he experienced it all that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had many tears through much persecution that yes, he preached the word from house to house. Yes, he was bold in his faith, but let me be transparent. This is not a cakewalk over here. It's been difficult. And Paul with brothers in Christ becomes vulnerable. This morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you came in here carrying. I don't know if it's a marriage issue I don't know if it's a finance issue. I don't know if it's a healing issue, but this is what I know. The master surgeon's in the room this morning. And I believe there's some healing that could take place right in the 11 o'clock service. But you gotta be vulnerable enough first. Because this is what I've learned. 
before something can be operated on, it must first be opened. This morning, I want to invite you to take off that church mask and be vulnerable enough to say, maybe I'm not as okay as I look. This morning, I want to look at this story with Paul because I believe that he shows us three things to do when you can be vulnerable enough to say how you're really doing. The first thing we see Paul do is he gathered the right people. Come on, say the right people. Oh, that's so weak. The right people. Thank you. Excited to be in church this morning. Acts 20, 17, it says, he sent to Ephesus and called the who? The elders of the church. I don't know if you know this, but you need godly people in your life. First thing Paul did was get godly people in his life. Pastor, why do we need godly people in our life? Look here at, at Proverbs thirteen twenty. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. If you came here looking for profound wisdom at the 11 o'clock service, let me get it to you. Get around wise people. Why? Because there's this principle called more is caught than taught. So you get around people who have just been following Jesus longer than you, married longer than you, doing this thing longer than you, and what's on them just gets on you. Walk with the wise and become wise. But look at the second part of this verse. But the companion of fools suffers harm. Have you ever considered the reason your life is so messy is because all of your friends are fools? Good morning. There is scripture after scripture that communicates the importance of men surrounding yourself with godly men, women surrounding yourself with godly women. I'm just gonna throw out a couple for you. Proverbs 27, 17. It says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. I love this back half. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. Notice when. It's not if life comes. It's coming. And when life comes, woe to the man when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Lastly, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Uh, we just launched small groups last week, and every semester I lead a small group. And I usually lead a small group called a freedom group. It's a 13-week curriculum. It's so powerful. You tackle things like forgiveness. Let me tell you something. There's nothing more powerful than being in a group of about 15 men and watching men just begin to break down crying, being able to finally forgive the father that was never present in their life is powerful. We cover topics like the power of your words. When you watch men go back into their families and begin to speak differently to their wife and things begin to change, but about two years ago, I led a freedom group, and it was a great group. I mean, I think all the groups are great. But about two weeks after the group ended, I got a text from one of the guys that went through the group. And when, as I was preparing the sermon last week, I, I was reminded of it and I actually asked the guy if I could share it with you this morning, and, and he said he would. I think it so appropriately describes the impact of godly relationships in your life. This is what he texted me. He said, hey, pastor, I wanted to take a moment and tell you what this small group has done for me. I grew up without a father in my life, and I've had to learn how to be a man on my own, a husband on my own, and most recently, a father on my own. My wife has been telling me for years that I needed to reach out to some men in the church for help, 
but being vulnerable enough to ask other men for help was always impossible. I always grew up thinking men don't talk about the kind of stuff that we talked about in group, but boy, was I wrong. When I joined your small group, it was the very first time in my life that I have ever opened up to anyone about all the hurts and disappointments that I have experienced. I was so shocked to see how many of the men in our group had also experienced the same issues with their fathers. I want you to know that after finishing the freedom group, I've experienced so much healing in my life. I now pray with my wife every morning and night, and I read Jesus Calling with the kids before they go to sleep. This small group has not just changed my life, it's changed my families as well. You can clap, that's powerful. How important is it to be vulnerable with other people? The quality of your marriage and your parenting might just be dependent on it. First thing we see from Paul is he had the right people. The second thing he had was the right posture. Come on, say the right posture. Acts 20, 18 through 20. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord, serving the Lord. Do you know there's only one posture in the kingdom? Jesus modeled it. It's called servanthood. You see, Jews had such a problem with Jesus, still do have a problem with Jesus because they thought the Messiah, the Savior, was coming on a white horse, wearing armor, ready to defeat Rome. Here comes Jesus riding in on a donkey, washing the feet of his enemies. And here we are, Jesus followers, having an issue with people that have a different political opinion than we do. There's only one posture that we're called to model, and it's called servanthood. Let me take the weight off of you this morning. I believe our responsibility is really primarily to do one thing, just serve people. Why is that? Because every time we serve people, we sow seed. Our job is sowing seed. God's job is outcome. And if we'll be faithful to do our part, God is really, really good at doing his. Transparent moment. About a year ago, I was having a conversation with my dad, and we were talking about ministry and dreaming and planning. And and about 45 minutes into the conversation, I... I realized something was wrong. I didn't know what I had said, but I knew something was off. Because I had been talking for about 40 minutes, and he'd be talking for about five. For those of you that don't know, that's not a good ratio of conversation to have. How many know people that just suck the air out of the room when they talk, just talk the pain off a wall, okay? If you don't know those people, it's because you're that person. (laughs) Yeah, I remember just... 45 minutes into the conversation, it just went, whoop, the air got sucked out of the room. I just, I just knew something was off. I didn't know. I just knew something was wrong. I remember in the car ride home, I tell my wife, hey, I, I said something. She said, you're just overthinking. I said, no, I'm telling you. I don't know what I said, but it's, it's not good. Next day, I, I wake up and the first text in my phone says, hey, Joseph, this is dad. Why don't you come over to the house? We need to talk. Never a good text message. I go sit down on the couch, and the very first thing he says, he said, hey, I want you to know what you said yesterday bothered me. 
said, well, what did I say? He said, everything you said. Okay, everything I said, it's a lot. It's a lot. He said, I heard you say me, mine, and I more in 45 minutes than I have your entire life. And he said this to me, your posture is off. And you know what? He was right. There's an area of my life that wasn't okay. And when you're not okay, the first thing that changes is your posture. I don't know how many of you are like me, but when I'm not okay, I have to control everything and I got to fix it all myself which is actually ironic because normally when I'm not okay, it's because I did something stupid. So I'm sitting here trying to fix, and if I call this person, I can catch this, and I can tell them not to say this to this person, and I can. By the way, I love what Dr. Darius Daniel says about control. He says, control, if you think about it, is really just an illusion. You can drive as carefully as you want, but you cannot control the person driving next to you. You can place the best bid on a home that you can, but you cannot control the bid being accepted. There's only one person that owns control. His name is God. And every time I try to control, I end up bearing God-sized weight. It's weight that I was never created to carry. So one of my favorite scriptures is Psalms 55, 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Every time I feel heavy, every time I feel overwhelmed, it's always a sign that I'm carrying something God's called me to cast. Let me ask you a question this morning. How's your posture? If your posture's off, can I encourage you that it's never too late to course correct and start living the life that Jesus lived, just serving others around you? Because parents, you know this. What blesses me the most as a dad is actually when my son gets blessed. Because when you're a child, you are satisfied being filled. But when you become an adult, you become fulfilled filling others. Maybe this is why we have a generation of people feel no hope, feel so depressed because their entire life is self-serving when they were created to live for others around them. Proverbs 11.25, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I love what Winston Churchill says. He says, we make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we give. The second thing Paul had is the right posture. And lastly, number three, Paul, the right perspective. People, posture, perspective. This is powerful. Acts 20, 22 through 23. It says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Let me translate this for you. Every time life gets really, really, really hard, me and God get really, really, really close. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he screams at us in our pain. Yeah. Because let me give you a perspective of Paul's life. This was Paul's life. God would speak to Paul. Paul would speak for God. Paul would get beaten and thrown into prison. God would speak to Paul. Paul would speak for God. And Paul would get beaten and thrown into prison. So what Paul is saying 
As I'm going to Jerusalem, I have no clue why, but this seems to be the pattern of my life. Everywhere that imprisonment and affliction awaits me, every time they beat me, the Holy Spirit uses me in a significant way. What's that called? Perspective. When I think about that word perspective, I think about my aunt. My mom is one of seven and her youngest sibling, her name's Josette. And uh, we all call her Honey Bear. Come on, you know you have a good aunt if her name is Honey Bear. She's amazing. You light up every room. I mean, she, growing up, would, would Saturday mornings go get two dozen glazed meshes donuts and drop them off at her house. And, you know, at the time, we were just six kids under the age of 18. She'd bang on the door and get in her car and drive off. So when we opened it, the kids got to enjoy the donuts. But she got to run away from my parents being upset with her. It was just amazing. Just the best aunt. Lit up every room, walked in, hilarious. Just always make you smile. Best. In September 2015, September 8th, 2015, she got diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. If you've ever met anyone or you know someone, or maybe it's you and you've experienced cancer, you know just the viciousness of that disease. And I remember watching something so wild take place. It was like as cancer began to eat away at her body, as she began to get weak, as she began to get frail, her spirit was so strong. She started this blog where she would write about her intimacy with Jesus and how she's never been closer to him. I went and read one of her blogs last night as I was preparing for this message. And she had this one on Psalms 23.4. I love the NLT version. Where she broke down, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I won't be afraid because you're with me. December 24, 2018, she passed away. And a few months before she passed, she was having a conversation with someone. And they asked her, how you doing? It was very apparent, death's doorstep. It's coming quick. How you doing? How's your perspective? This is what she said. What scares me is not that this diagnosis could take me away any day. What scares me is being healed and having all of this freedom and transformation in Jesus fade away. Perspective. See, This is your life. 90 years. This this is eternity. (laughs) And here we are worried about the camp and the 401k and who's going to get elected and I'm going to be upset if this doesn't and I'm going to be in. And God's saying, hello. 
how you live this, who you love here, who you decide to serve. Eternity will be a reward. And my hope today is that as Jesus followers, we could live with a 2 Corinthians 4.18 mindset. Whole message in one scripture. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, fleeting, here today and gone tomorrow. But what is unseen is eternal. every head bowed and every eyes closed, I believe there's two groups of people in the room. I think the first group is saying, uh, Pastor, when you were talking about being vulnerable, when you beginning your story about not being okay, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I have a relationship with Jesus. I know him. But things have been so difficult lately. I'm on my last straw. The marriage is on the rocks, it's been difficult. Maybe you're a parent here and just holding on to hope is hurting and you don't know how much longer you can hold on. This morning I believe by the spirit of God that there's gonna be a fresh wave of grace for you to walk out the walk that God has for you. I just wanna pray with you this morning. If that's you, every head bowed, every eyes closed, you're saying, Pastor, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I, I, I need to be vulnerable. I'm actually not okay right now. On the count of three, if you'd raise your hand, I wanna pray with you. One, two, three, if that's you here. Come on, raise them high. Hands up all over. All over. Yeah. And you put your hands down. Father, I thank you that right now you're coming and you're picking up those that have gotten so exhausted on this race of life. Father, I thank you that the God who makes broken things beautiful is in the room. That the God that raises dead things back to life is still raising dead things this morning. Right now, I pray specifically over marriages. Fresh strength, fresh grace. I thank you that our strength isn't found in who we are, but it's found in who you are. And that when we turn to you, we have access to everything we need. May we turn to you. The second group here. Second group saying, Pastor, I hear you talking about Jesus, but I don't have a relationship with him. If Jesus is really what changes everything, him being Lord of my life, me living the life that he lived, if that's what really does it, that's me, I need that. I can't keep living life the way I've been living. I can't. I refuse to walk out the way I walked in. If Jesus is what changes everything, I want that. That's you, every head bowed, every eyes closed. It's just me looking. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. 
most important decision you will ever make is to choose someone who's already choosing you. That's right. He wants all of you. Jesus didn't die on the cross to have partial custody of you. You've been waiting. Time is now. It's time to stop playing religion. It's time to surrender everything. If that's you, you want a personal, passionate relationship with Jesus. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand so I can pray with you. One, it's time. Two, three. If that's you, you want a personal relationship with Jesus. Come on, raise them high, raise them high, raise them high, raise them high. Come on, let's start on the right. Raise them high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46. Come on, raise them high. 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58. Fifty-nine, sixty. I see you in the back against the wall. 61, 62, I see you all the way on the left. 63, bro, I see you. Put your hands down. One more time. If you already raised your hand the first time, don't raise it again. If you're saying, Pastor, my heart's about to beat out of my chest, I should have raised my hand. Raise it right now. Sixty-four. 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, I see you, sir. Holy Spirit's in the room. Put your hands down. Let's just stay here for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Yeah. There's nothing like the presence of God. Greater than any high. Greater than any thrill. There's nothing like your presence. family, can you pray together with me for those that just made that decision? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. You died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven purpose on earth and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. 
Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.